Good morning, church. How are we? Good, good. Love you guys. Let's dig in. In 1887, 1887, track with me, in a small Florida town, a girl by the name of Lillian Trasher was born. Lillian Trasher. Jesus saved her at a young age, and it didn't take long for her to be all in on following Jesus. She loved her church, and she loved to serve her church even at, an, uh, even at a young age. And by the age of 18, she stepped into a teaching role uh, with a parachurch missionary organization where she would help teach. And eventually, she began serving at a local orphanage in North Carolina. Lillian believed in and held to the truth of the gospel that God was her provider. Her faith as a Christian, it continued to grow as she grew, and she knew God wanted her to be all in on following him. And at the age of 21, 21, she said, I'm all in. She followed the guidance of the Holy Spirit to move to Egypt as a missionary. No questions. No questions asked. Just as simple, I'll go where you lead me. God And Lillian and her sister began to make plans of what it would look like to get on a boat and go to Egypt as missionaries. They made the plans, but there was only one problem. They did not have the financial resources to make this happen. But Lillian, being a young woman who believed in the gift of faith, prayed, and that was enough. When God said go, she knew that she would be provided the rest from God, that God would take care of her, and he did. The funds miraculously appeared uh, right before they needed it, and her and her sister were able to board a boat and go to Egypt. No one doubted the calling that God had placed on Lillian's life, but they sure were not thrilled quite as much as Lillian was uh, as a 21-year-old setting sail in, in 1910 to head to Egypt as a missionary. As I read some of her biography this week, I came across this. Her life remained a constant trust fall of this kind. As she consistently moved where the Spirit was leading before she saw any path to get there. She was like a quarterback throwing a pass before the wide receiver breaks on the ball. She just knew God would be there when the time was right. Upon arrival in Egypt, Lillian partnered with a missionary organization. And within months, uh, she was brought to a, a small village. She went to pray for a dying young woman who had just had conceived a child. Listen to her personal account of this. After I had been in Egypt a little over three months, 21 years old, I was asked to visit a dying woman. She had a tiny babe about three months old, and it was being fed from a tin bottle. The milk had become caked and green and stringy, yet the baby was trying to drink it. Soon the mother died and the baby was given to me. I took the baby home. What else to do? The child had never had a bath and its clothes were sewed onto its little body. You cannot imagine the odors that came from the child. The little thing would cry and cry, making it hard for the missionaries to rest at night. And they begged me to take her back, but I could not do that. So I went out. I rented a house for $12 and a half per month and then spent my little all for a bit of furniture. And thus, February 10th, 1911, marked the opening of the Asiat Orphanage. Lillian unexpectedly and quite miraculously char uh, church started what is believed to be the first orphanage in Egypt in 1911 at the age of 21. 
She was, went on and was called by many people as one of the greatest women in Egypt of all time. Many leaders looked at her and honored her because for 45 years, she went on to faithfully care for over 6,000 orphans. She had no building. She had no budget. And she literally, church, would spend every morning on her knees crying out to the Father in heavens for her daily bread and for the bread of hundreds of children with no home. Her faith in God sustained her, and God truly was her joy because Jesus was enough for Lillian. And when opposition or impossible solutions, as I continue to read through that, when the, uh, her biography, as things would arise, she was known for the one that would call out to God in confidence and with extraordinary assurance that God was about to act through a miraculous way. And over and over again, you see him acting in a miraculous way, providing for this orphanage. And as I read through her story, I was reminded, we as Christians here this morning have access to so much. And yet, I personally wrestle daily with, is God enough? In my current circumstances, I wonder, will God even provide she had nothing and yet was so confident that God had everything and would provide. What a beautiful picture of someone who the Spirit has given the gift of faith, the spiritual gift of faith on so many different occasions. So this morning we continue on in our Equip series, as Pastor Ryan says, of our rallying cry for this year. We practice the spiritual disciplines, we practice the spiritual gifts Church, spiritual gifts are given to us, the body of Christ, to carry out its ministry until Christ returns. We see that Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. He says, you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of your Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit gives good gifts in order that we might build up and encourage one another for the common good. Let's look at our text right there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 11. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. Manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. And to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he, the spirit, wills. Now, as we've done previously throughout this series, throughout this year, I'm going to lean heavily on some much wiser men that have gone before us uh, in order to help kind of define and describe this gift. And then I'm going to press into the, the word of God as we look at what it means to be equipped to practice the gift of faith. So on the screen behind me, you'll see, uh, I'll define the spiritual gift as this. It is the kind of faith rooted in the almighty and sovereign God that specifically believes he, God, is capable of intervening in the most dramatic 
or supernatural or even more subtle and mundane ways. To be very clear, when we hear that word faith, I'm gonna, uh, again, I'm gonna press in and let Sam Storms talk about that because when you hear faith, I'm not for sure what you hear. So there's three types, as uh, Sam Storms talks about, three types of uh, distinct context in which we see biblical faith played out. And the one, uh, number one, would be a converting faith. Like this is the faith we exercise following the gift of new life. As you become a believer, Jesus gives you a new heart in Christ and through which we are justified. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from work so that no one may boast. So you have this, this converting faith in Scripture, and then you have this continuing faith. Storms goes on and says that the, this is the faith that we exercise daily as an expression of dependence upon and confidence in God. This is that everyday faith that God's in control. He is sovereign. I'm, I'm pressing into this faith. It relies on the hope that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Points us to the word. He is our provider, our sustainer. We just sang this song, for, uh, 2 Corinthians 1.20, for every one of God's promises is yes in him. Therefore, through him, we also say amen to the glory of God. Converting faith, continuing faith as a Christian. And then third, we see this charismatic faith, which would be the gift that the Spirit gives in specific instances. This gift of faith, as we've described here from Paul, and also, as you saw in the opening story of Lillian, this, this miraculous way, this gift of faith that the Spirit and dwells on us. D.A. Carson helps explain it a little bit more. For saving faith, all Christians must possess. This, rather, is faith to perform some extraordinary work, the kind of faith in Jesus' terms that can move mountains. Matthew 17, this faith is the God-given ability that enables a believer to believe that you do not really believe and to trust God for a certain blessing not promised in Scripture. This faith, the, the spiritual gift of faith, reminds me, uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture that we see this played out is in Mark chapter 2. It's, uh, again, one of my favorite. Jesus is in the home uh, of, of several religious people. It, the, the house is packed. He's teaching a word. And this is what it says in Mark chapter 2. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. Picking up in verse 3, I believe, on the screen. They came to him bringing a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I'll stop right there. Again, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and I get really amped up about this, especially talking about the gift of faith, but we have no idea who this man is that's being brought in on the mat. All we know is he's paralyzed. We have no idea who they are, these four men. All we know is that they brought a man and did some really crazy things to get him to the feet of Jesus. All we know is that what, what we see here, they brought him on a stretcher to Jesus, because I'm assuming Scripture points to this, that they had, somebody had the gift of faith, whether it was the paralyzed man or one of the four or all of them, 
they had the gift of faith. I mean, right? why else would four men go to a paralyzed man on a mat, load him up on the stretcher, and then take him to a house where Jesus was, was teaching? Why else would they get there and realize, man, it is packed? Imagine this room just packed to the brim. Everybody is, is, is standing, looking out through the windows. There's no room in the house. Any normal person would say, hey, bro, we, we tried. Like, we're, maybe we can try tomorrow. Let's just try tomorrow. We'll come back. Instead, what they do? They started digging through the roof. The Messiah, King Jesus, is in the room, right in the middle, teaching, and the roof is just being torn to pieces. Dust and straw is beginning to fall, going everywhere. And these men then lower a paralyzed man from the roof, a bit sketchy, down to the feet of Jesus. Like this scene is priceless. Where's the homeowner? What is he thinking? What is happening right now in my house? Are you going to pay for this? Like the, the scene is priceless. Maybe even the paralyzed man like literally crying out saying, I'm good. Don't do it. I'll come back. You can bring me back tomorrow. And then you know one of the, the four are just saying, it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. We're good. Everything's going to be all right. Just trust us. You know, you have that calm presence. And they open up the roof and they lower him down and essentially say, here you go, Jesus. And here's why. Because all they needed was Jesus. They had faith that if they could just get to the feet of Jesus, these men had the gift of faith. Remember the definition. It is the kind of faith rooted in the almighty and sovereign God that specifically believes he, God, is capable of intervening and in the most dramatic, I'd say this is pretty dramatic and supernatural, or even the most subtle or mundane ways. We know nothing else from these men. Their names, we, we don't even know if they appear again in scripture. What we do know is Jesus faithfully forgives the sins after seeing these men's faith. Like that's enough right there. This story could stop and Jesus saying, son, I forgive your sins ought to be enough to just rejoice. Praise God. Praise God, he's given you a new heart. Your faith has saved and given you a new heart. The text goes on and talks about how many that were there, the, the Pharisees and the religious, were skeptical. They begin questioning in their hearts, not even out loud. And then miraculously, Jesus, because he's the son of God, look at what he does. He says, right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this when themselves and said to them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sons are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Church, Jesus forgave his sins, and then he healed this man. Scripture says immediately he got up, he took the mat, and he went out the front of everyone. And as a result, hear me, as a result, they were all astounded and they gave glory to God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Four normal men 
one paralyzed man, the gift of faith in the impossible circumstance, the feet of Jesus, a new heart, a new life, healed, and everyone was astounded and gave glory to God. Now, I've, I've thrown a lot at you already, and some are like amped up. Like you just had a Mountain Dew and you are ready to go. Let's go, keep going. And I love it. And others of you might still be stuck on the boat with Lillian thinking, how did she get the money? Like in your mind, you're sitting there struggling and wrestling. Like, what do you mean? This gift of faith seems way too unbelievable. Like I, I can't wrap my mind around what you're talking about. Lillian's off the boat, by the way, God provided. So track with me. And then some might be growing very skeptical about this gift. Already walls, the sirens of prosperity gospel is going off. Walls are, are coming up. Maybe even not even just about this gift. Maybe just the gifts in general. You've heard what it is. And anytime you hear things like ask and it will be given to you, those alarms just go off. You start cringing and thinking about this, this prosperity gospel of, of things that have left you empty when people have promised so much. So sometimes it's helpful to hear what the gift is, but I think I need to tell you also what the gift is not. The spiritual gift of faith is not some type of weapon to be used to get what you want. It's not this invitation that you have now that you can demand things from God. And nor can we take a verse out of context and just pick this verse and, and use it to manipulate not only our own faith, but the faith of others. Like, you can't do that. The word of God, one word of God right here. You can't just take something out and, and use it for your good. We have never and we will never be able to call things into existence. Let me say that one more time. You, me, have never been able to, nor will you ever be able to call things into existence. That comes from God, creator, Genesis 1. The power that comes with the gift of faith doesn't come from the individual. Meaning, faith derives its power from the one in who we believe in. All glory goes to God, and when the Spirit, hear me on this, when the Spirit gives and dwells this gift to his children, the gift of faith. This faith takes all the eyes off of yourselves, off of me, and places them on the one who deserves all glory. That's the gift of faith. Eyes off of me and on the one who provides miraculously. And also, having the gift of faith does not mean that you are never going to be sick or that you will be even healed. Not having enough faith does not mean you are sick because you do not have faith. That is a lie from the enemy. God is sovereign over all, and the Spirit indwells these gifts as he sees fit for his glory and our maturation. My goodness, we're in James. Count it all, cost a, uh, count it all a joy in our sufferings. I think we've seen plenty of people do some very reckless things over the years and call it the gift of faith. 
But I have also personally seen a lot of people hide in fear and call that wisdom. This is what one author calls uh, kingdom tension. Listen to what he says. To deny the gift on the basis of its misuse is to fall prey to cynicism, which is the anti-faith that keeps us from believing anything. You can't throw it out. You have to press in. What is true? What is right? What is good? What does the word of God say? When the Spirit gives you the gift of faith, that simply means, again, your eyes are taken off of yourself and placed, focused above on the one who deserves all glory, all honor, and all praise. It's this confession that says, I can do nothing, but he can do anything. And church, your confidence, like your, your identity is not in you. It is in his word, his proven character. Over and over again, his promises are yes and amen. And he gives this good gift. And as he gives it to you, in return, all you are doing is pointing people back to Jesus. Pointing people to his goodness. It's this dependence of truly relying and pressing in and that allows you to function as we were designed to do, which is to worship King Jesus. We were created to worship. And that's what the gift of faith does. Pushes us back to Jesus. It's not faith's act, but it's object that accounts for the miraculous. Man, that's good. It is not faith's act, but it's object that accounts for the miraculous. Now, all throughout scriptures, we see the gift of, of faith played out. All right, I talked about Mark chapter two. We see men and women crying out in faith, asking for deliverance, asking for healing, asking for God to protect them, to, to deliver them, to save them. You have Moses, he had the miraculous gift of faith that led the people out of Israel. You have Sarah who had faith that she would conceive even in her own age against her old age against all odds. You have Noah who had a miraculous faith that God had spoken to him to build the ark even when everybody thought he was absolutely insane. You have the beautiful, amazing story of Rahab in Joshua chapter four where she didn't run from God. Even as a non-believer, she ran to God because of the promises that she had heard about. And in that, she put her faith in God alone and then through her saving faith, hear me, she was then given the opportunity to live out this supernatural faith, this gift of faith that God was going to deliver them. Beautiful, beautiful story. And Peter having the gift of faith in Acts chapter three where he heals the men at the temple gate and Paul knowing that God was going to save him and deliver him multiple times being shipwrecked. You have a whole chapter in Hebrews chapter 11 that draws our eyes back to the spirit leading men and women for generation after generation, miraculously calling them to a faith against all odds. We could go on and on of story after story, but I can't. Now I gotta shift and I need to equip us now of what does this look like. But, but before I move on, all of these stories are, are beautiful examples. God's word, beautiful examples of how the good father loves us and pursues us. Beautiful stories. They're testimonies found in God's word of how God has saved his people and redeemed them for generation after generation. But if you're here this morning, 
you're, you're wrestling with, I said faith and you just cringe. Like you're wrestling with this faith. Like maybe these stories don't sound like you. You don't have Jesus as the hero of your story. Can I just gently call you in all of your questions, in all of your skepticism, cynicism, whatever it is that is keeping you from me, can I just call you and gently call you to put your faith in God in the midst of not having all of the answers? Like, I don't have all the answers. The word of God points to the truth, and that's the hope that we cling to. Or in the midst of wondering if he cares for you, can I just remind you out of his sovereignty and providence and goodness to you, you sit in these chairs this morning and you're hearing the words prayed, the words sung, the word preached. You're hearing of his faithfulness and the testimonies of generation after generation. And friend, that is good news to you. I have faith that God can open your eyes and give you a new heart because he did it to me. And I I desire that for you. So more than anything, would you just gently hear to put your faith in Jesus? Put your faith in him. All right, so what do we do? What do we do with this gift? Who has the gift? How does this play out in our context today? I'm gonna give you four things um, that, that I want to equip us in, lay before you in order to best equip you in this gift. Some have had this gift before, others Um, don't know how to ask for the gift. Others are trying to figure out what that is. Let me just equip you. Number one, number one thing that we can do to be equipped, ask. Simple, ask. Commune with God. Practice the spiritual disciplines, journaling and praying and, and reading the word, memorizing the word, fasting, lamenting, crying out to him. Practice, ask. Ask the Spirit for the gift of faith. You cannot receive what you have not asked for. Number one thing to equip you in is ask. Number two, you ready? This is is very good, real good, okay? Keep asking. Keep asking. Earnestly desire. That's what Paul says. Commune with God. Ask, and then to be very practical, when you keep asking for this gift of faith, God, would you give me faith? Would you help me understand what this looks like? It's helpful, very practical. It's helpful to be mindful of what's going on in the lives, your own personal life, but also the people that you are in community with. Like, when you ask, be ready for the answer, and to be ready, me equipping you is saying, be mindful of what people are going through. Ask good questions, What's happening with your coworkers? What's happening in your family and your friends? Learn to ask good questions. What's happening, uh, how you can pray for them? And then ask for the gifts as they open up and share. Ask for them. Paul tells us to earnestly ask. Jesus says to knock, keep asking, keep knocking. When it seems like the impossible task is ahead, ask for the gift of faith. I was visiting with a dear brother from our church um, about this gift and if he had ever felt the Spirit had, have given, has given him this gift. And this is what he said. There's no question as to whether we should ask or whether the time is right. We have to start asking for this gift. Sometimes when I have heard about a situation where we have needed God to intervene, I have felt this wave of energizing confidence sweep over me that we are just to pause, cry out to God because he is ready, willing, and infinitely able to answer us. 
ask and keep asking. Number three, not going to say the word ask again. Know the word of God. Like this, this is huge. Be equipped with the word of God and not spiritual sayings. And here, here's what I mean by that. When impossible situations arise, people don't need to hear things like this. There's always hope for the underdog, so never stop believing in yourself. They don't need to hear, if you trust God, he will give you victory over all your giants in your life. What they need to hear is a prayer from a brother or sister who boldly prays the word of God, because that is our hope. Whatever the word of God says is what we cling to. They need someone with the gift of faith to step in at the last hour as the spirit leads and to pray a prayer that recognizes our desperate need for our savior to step in and then believe that God will. That's what they need. Know the prayers of those who have gone before you. Know the word of God. Read how they boldly cried out in faith for deliverance. Read how they lived a courageous life. They were expectant on God to deliver, and he did. The Christian life is not a life we live by sipping on coffee cup verses. Feast on the word of God, church. Feast on it. Know it. And number four, don't hide. Well, yeah, but Matt, I've prayed for this, and... and you know, nothing really happened of it. What if I'm wrong? There's shame, there's guilt, there's approval of man that I'm wrestling with. The spiritual gift of faith is believing the truth, which is God's truth, no matter what happens. Whether you receive what you are believing or not, your confidence is not in yourself. It is in the word of God, which means it cannot be swayed. The fear, the worry, your circumstances, those do not define you. They do not define even your level of faith. If God's given you this spiritual gift of faith, then trust without a doubt that he will do as he wills for your life and for those that you are praying for. I was thinking about this and, and I was gonna pose the question of do I need to remind us of our lineages, lineage of Grace Church? And I, I'm not even gonna ask, I'm just gonna tell you. Let me remind you of God's faithfulness and, and his goodness to just our church. We just celebrated four years of being in this southwest region. Six or so, six or seven years ago or so, Pastor Ryan and Pastor Jim at the Paradox uh, began praying about this first church plant that they would send out. You know people were praying in faith at that, right? Like you, you have to believe we are here today because people had the gift of faith and believed that this was going to happen. They were praying for provision, praying that God would provide even a building one day, praying in faith that God would make a way when things seemed impossible. Six or seven years ago, praying in faith that God would bless this, this region with a gospel-centered church that would make disciples and plant more churches, believing that God would answer their cries like I know Ryan, Pastor Ryan was on his knees pleading with the Lord, Lord, I believe that you are calling us to this. 50 or so other adults on their hands and knees just pleading, God, would you do this? And then believing, having faith that he would do this. God, we believe you. Will you save our friends in Benbrook and, and Southwest region? Would you do this, Father? 
church, surely, surely we want more of that, right? Like surely we want to just come before the Lord and beg him to do a work. I gotta ask, are your prayers big enough? We are praying to the God of the universe who literally holds everything in his hands. And why, why do we ask so little from him? Why do we assume he will say no? You know, one of my favorite, or one of my biggest fears is that my kids stop asking me for things out of a fear or assumption that I'm just going to say no. And if I'm honest, my, ref- my prayers reflect that. My prayers to God reflect that. There have been many times in my ministry that I've settled for little safe prayers. And hear me on this, not out of fear of God saying no. It wasn't that I didn't believe God would do it. It wasn't even, it wasn't that, but out of fear of how I will be, be perceived if God says no. Or if God says yes, but not yet. I was more fearful of what people would think of me if I stepped out in faith and did this. Well, what if God says yes, but not yet? Or what if God says no? How are people gonna perceive me? Sam Storms says this, make your prayers as audacious and grandiose as the God you're praying them to. Man, this week, family, I was reminded of kingdom prayers. I went back through some of my journals and just looked at God's faithfulness of me crying out, me crying out in doubt and and just being skeptical of God, would you do this? But I really didn't believe he was doing this. I was reminded of kingdom prayers. And I wanna see our church on our hands and knees praying and asking God to do what we cannot do and then believing and operating in faith that he he will provide for his glory. And then family, we need you We need you begging the Spirit to give you this gift. We do. Your four pastors, elders, we we can't do this without you. We would not have a, a, a flock to shepherd if you were not here. We need you pleading with the Spirit to give you this. This is a massive charge that God has given us. And having a crew of people that have the gift of faith and it just does wonders to those who sit around that are skeptical. Like, I, I need you sometimes. I need you, if you have the gift of faith, to be praying and saying, no, Matt, we, we can do this. God, God can provide this for us. I believe he will do this. Why? So that we can build up and we can encourage one another in this and that more people would meet Jesus. Ask, earnestly ask and desire, know the word, which is feast on the word, and then don't hide. If you have this gift, use it, operate in it as the Lord, as the Spirit gives it to you. If you don't have it, ask, ask some more, and then don't hide in it. I was reading in closing today, I was reading an article by a church planter uh, out of Michigan who who has seen some uh, pretty miraculous things happen in some of his inner city churches and campuses, pushing back darkness. Listen to what he says as we close. The whole purpose of spiritual gifts is love for God and power for mission so that the gift of faith is mission critical. The missionary hoping to break into a closed community in a foreign country must exercise the gift of faith. The church planter asking God to create a healthy, thriving church where none was before must exercise the gift of faith. 
The college minister looking to launch a new student movement on campus must exercise the gift of faith. Hear me. Attempting to go to battle without this gift is, I fear, like a special ops team trying to take the hill without any weapons. It might be possible, but it will be far more brutal and bloody than otherwise would have been had the right weapons been deployed. We need one another. Praying, pleading with the Spirit for the gifts, asking, earnestly asking and knocking, Jesus, please, would you do this? God, I believe you want to save my neighbor. I believe that. Would you please give me opportunities? And when I operate in that belief that you will save my neighbor, my children, won't you join in on this beautiful adventure that the Spirit's called us to? What a joy it is to serve alongside you. Would you join in with us? Would you please ask the Spirit? So let's do that. Let's pray and ask earnestly, desire and ask that the Spirit would hear us this morning. Let's pray. Father, I am thankful that we have the Word to be encouraged. be corrected to point us back to you that the hero of this of this story is Jesus and what you did in and through him he is victorious i am not just even saying those words, I pray that we as a people, as a body would believe that. That you are victorious. That you love us, that you care for us, that you pursue us. But God, this whole life, this adventure is about bringing you glory. You invite us into it. You use us. You do a work in and through us, broken people. My goodness, how gracious you are to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit, Lord, that has gone before us, that, that is the one who gives gifts as you see fit to build up one another. God, the four years of Grace Church being here is nothing in compared to the thousands of years of your word to your people, your faithful promises, your covenants being fulfilled, faithful men and women that we don't even know about, that have gone before us, operated out of the gift of faith because you asked them to go and they faithfully shared the good news. God, I'm here today because of, of men and women who shared the gospel with my brother, who in return shared the gospel, the good news with me. And in return, got to share the good news with my children. Oh, to know the joy that you call us into. What a beautiful adventure. And I know some of us this morning are just struggling and wrestling with, with gifts. I pray that you would just be constant to us right now. Stir in our hearts. 
Lord, I pray for, for new hearts, for any that are skeptical of you, that they would cry out in faith. Oh, to know you, Jesus, would you save them? And then just to our family, God, as we move into response time, Father, I pray that you would just convict us, Lord, if there's sin that's keeping us, God, from, from operating out of this gift of faith that we need to confess and repent of, Father, that, that we would do that. We would take this serious. God, I can't do this without you. All I have is you, Jesus. All this church stands on is you. Your promises are yes and amen. God, would you work in our hearts today?